0: Kevin Smith's latest flick, Yoga Hosers, is now streaming courtesy of Flixfling. See the film the way some would say it would be best seen, while you're blazed and surfing the internet in the comfort and privacy of your own home. Feel like a 12-year-old girl again, even if you never actually were one. Yoga Hosers, it's a kid's movie from the guy who made his career with clerks and then tried to destroy it with Tusk. Rent or own Yoga Hosers right now on Flixfling. That's right party people. Pod You is back. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another edition of Pod You. My name is Will and this is the podcast where we give you the Smodcast listener, an opportunity to school us with your podcast, or to feature your podcast. Anyway, this podcast uh, for this week is going to sound kind of familiar because the guy whose network we are on is currently has a show on AMC called Geeking Out, and in trying to record this intro, I have now successfully said the name of this podcast wrong ten times. So let's work really hard. We'll focus. When you say the words dorking out, with Chris and Sonya. Uh, you can find out more about them at dorkingoutshow.com. And this is straight from their website. Dorking Out isn't just for comic book fans and mathletes. Everyone has something that they dork out about. Maybe you dork out about movies, TV shows, music, books, vintage clothes, food, gardening, crafts. Uh, why didn't they include vinyl? Anyway. Hell, you can even dork out about sports. Suck it, jocks. On their podcast, they want to talk... About everything that everyone loves to dork out about. So if you have a subject for dorking out, let them know. Like I said, you can go to dorkingoutshow.com or just go to the pod you page on smodcast.com and you can find all the information or a quick hop link over to their website or how to subscribe. It's all right there. So without further ado, folks, I bring to you Dorking Out with Chris
1: and Sonia. This episode of the Dorking Out Show podcast is brought to you by Pied Piper compression software whose goal is to help humanity thrive.
2: And the letter C. C is for cookie. But that's not really good enough for me. You know, flowers would be nice. Houston,
1: Flight is go. go. S P M. From Assignment X, Amalgamated Storytelling and the SoniaShow.com. It's The Dorking Out Show with Christopher Allen Smith and Sonia Mansfield. Welcome to episode nine of Dorking Out, a podcast for people who like to dork out about stories and the stories and pop culture that we love. And there's going to be a lot of them in this episode tonight or today or whatever non-specific time you happen to be listening to this. That means movies and TV, books and podcasts, and pretty much everything else is what we like to talk about here. With me today is my co-host, professional writer and author of The Sonya Show, Sonya Mansfield. Hey there. Hello.
2: With me today is my co-host, Emmy award-winning filmmaker and nerd author, Christopher Allen Smith.
1: So in today's episode, we will be talking about movies we are most forward, looking forward to. Wow. We will be talking about Strokes. And how you can have a stroke (laughs) in the middle of delivering your show intro. (laughs) We will be talking about the movies we are most looking forward to this fall. Plus, are fans the worst thing about the things that we love? Sometimes. We talk about fandom and entitlement and what it means to love something that is outside of your control. All of that... And our favorite headlines, probably Sonya's, because I didn't come up with one. So let's get started.
2: Topic one, the false movie season is almost upon us. What used to be three months of movies that didn't make the summer blockbuster cut, or weren't quite good enough to get an Oscar push, or horror movies trying to cash in and Halloween, has turned into an awesome time of the year for movies. So Smith and I have been studying up, and we're ready to share the movies that we are most looking forward to seeing this fall. I should clarify that the dates we used for the fall movie season were from Labor Day to right before Thanksgiving. So if you're wondering why Rogue One isn't on the lists, well, that's why. Got Uh,
1: cut out on a technicality.
2: Yes, you'll have to wait for the holiday movie preview or winter (laughs) movie preview for that.
1: That's right. For some of you like me who are expecting this preview to encompass the rest
2: of the year. You know what? Traditionally, (laughs) we let the co host who doesn't do the intro go first, (laughs) but now you've made me mad. So I'm going first.
1: Uh, All right.
2: (laughs) So my first pick, uh, the movie I'm one of the movies I'm really excited to see this fall, and I'm prepared to be mocked for it is Bridget Jones's Baby. It's coming out September 16th and I'm not I'm fully prepared for your wrath. Go ahead, your laughter, bring it. No,
1: you know what? Here's the I'm thing. I'm excited
2: to see Bridget Jones's baby. I'm a really really big fan of the first Bridget Jones movie. I thought it was really funny and really romantic and I super love it and even though I didn't like the sequel, I'm still going to see this one because I'm a completist. I have to see the trilogy.
1: (laughs) You know what? I'm not going to give you a hard time because I do like nice, like romantic comedy comedies or whatever. They just don't make a lot of good ones, but I want to throw an idea past you because your anticipatory defensiveness about being mocked for this, I don't think is entirely misplaced because I think there are certain genres or certain types of movie movies almost no matter how good they are critics just like to take shots at them
2: yeah uh, and well I, I think and i think that's the romantic comedy yeah
1: exactly and i that's the thing is is romantic comedies get an unfair amount of guff just like i think horror movies get an unfair amount of guff and actually I... a, a lot of comedies did an unfair, you know, I would say that the average Rotten Tomatoes rating of a comedy or a horror movie or a romantic comedy is lower than, you know, just straight up genre, uh dramas or action movies or whatever. So, yeah, you know what, if you want to go see Bridget Jones's Diary, I mean, some of yeah. the best movies of the last 30 years were kind of romantic, you know, romantic comedies of some sort. Um, like, you know, your Notting Hills, your Say Anythings, your Jerry Maguires, or whatever. Right. You know, they're, they're, when they're done right. Or your first Bridget Jones. <laughs> right. Yeah. When, when they're done right, they're fantastically fun movies to watch. And maybe this one will be good. So who knows?
2: Yeah. I have to say, like, the previews don't like super do it for me because, you know, the whole idea is that she's pregnant and she doesn't know who the father is. And I'm like, well, you could just get a test for that.
1: <laughs> That's all. <laughs> That might not be the most romantic. I I I have not seen the preview, but having had it just. You know, like she's super pregnant
2: at some point. I mean, she's like, you know, giving birth at the end and she still doesn't seem to know who the father is. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure you could do tests for that, but that's okay. Like
1: Ooh, that sounds awful. Now I am gonna make fun of you. That just sounds horrible.
2: (laughs) But I'm still gonna see it because my goodwill from the first movie is knows no bounds, apparently. So
1: so was this so was this Bridget Jones cuz I don't think there are 3 Bridget Jones books right there's
2: I think there are but I actually okay. don't think the third book I don't think this is based on the third book.
1: It, so I guess what we've learned here today kids is sometimes if you go to Chicago and you work real hard as a production assistant on the Jerry Springer show eventually you can get into screenwriting and write a Bridget Jones sequel. <laughs> All right, fine. What's your first pick? All right, well, now here's the thing. It's my first pick. I am not almost as... I'm not as defensive, I don't think, but I think maybe I should be a little defensive. It is Clint Eastwood's new movie, Sully, starring Tom Hanks as the heroic pilot that landed his uh, plane in the Hudson. Saving everyone on board—it's a big national thing. A couple years ago, and the reason I say defensive is Clint Eastwood has made directed some of the best. This is going to be a theme in my movies that I'm looking forward to. Clint Eastwood has directed some of the best movies of the last twenty years. He like uh, Million unfor- Dollar Baby. Million Dollar Baby. Oh, I forgot about that. You know, uh, Mystic River. He directed Unforgiven, yeah. maybe my favorite Western of all time, and definitely his best Western of all time. Right. He directed, uh, but then he's directed, well, he, it's interesting. He he directed American Sniper that somehow got this reputation as kind of glorifying war. But I watched that movie, and anybody that thinks that makes war look glorious is just, I think they're nuts.
2: Well, I didn't even see it.
1: Yeah, it's- I can't it, speak to that. It's a, it's a hard movie. However- Half the time, Clint Eastwood movies are just, they're like watching paint dry. They're just so boring. They're so back, not backwards, but they're just, it's like the spark isn't there for some reason.
2: Yeah. What's the one he did? He did one recently about like baseball
1: Oh, with, that's right.
2: With, with Amy Adams, right? Yeah, let me... And I'm like, gosh, even like awesome Amy Adams can't make me want to see that movie. Or Gran Torino, I didn't see that.
1: Gran Torino was interesting. I, I was not super in love with it, but it's it, 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 it kind of plays off his... See, that's the thing is, I think Clint Eastwood... <laughs> Actually, what I was going to say is, I think Clint Eastwood gets kind of a bad rap for his reputation, but then I remembered he was on the kind of made a fool of himself at the 2012 Republican convention.
2: Yeah, well, now he's, you know, kind of a grumpy old
1: man. Well, here, that's the thing, is he has a reputation for being a grumpy old man. And maybe he does say some stuff that's not all that great. But if you look at his body of work, it's really a lot more impressive um, than, you know, he directed Letters from Iwo Jima. He directed, I mean, his body of work is really pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um and a lot more nuance. I mean, there's I don't know if there's any movie about rejecting a life of violence and trying to make yourself better that's better than Unforgiven. It's it's almost like you know the you know the story behind Unforgiven is he bought that script I think in the early 80s and it was he basically said I'm not old enough to play this, but when I do it's going to be an awesome movie. And he sat on it for like 15 years.
2: Yeah, Unforgiven's going to come up a little bit later on my list, too. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, it's, uh, oh, that's right. He directed Bridges of Madison County.
2: (laughs) Which was, that movie was fine. It
1: was fine. No, exactly. It was right. It was, let's see. uh, He directed Heartbreak Ridge, which was meh. The Changeling, which I did not see. Letters from Iwo Jima, which was an interesting experiment, because he directed Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima, I think at the same time. They were kind of like two halves of the same fight. One from the Japanese perspective. one Yeah, I, mean? I remember that. Uh, and it was just, it was boring. It was so boring. Anyway.
2: So the thing about Sully that kind of confused me was I didn't realize, well, I guess I didn't know the whole story. So I was like, well, Sully's a hero. Dude landed a plane. Everybody survived. The end. Yeah. You know, And it's like, oh no, he was super crucified and this happened and they went after him. And I'm like, I don't remember that at all.
1: I th- Well, I think that's the thing. is, that, And we'll, we'll have to see. I think what happened is, you know, most of America saw it on cable, said, oh, wow, look at what that guy did. Awesome. Yeah. But then, like, the NTSB, who has to take this stuff a little bit more seriously, was, hey, that looks great. However, you crashed a plane in a river, so we're going to ask you a lot of questions. Yeah. So, which makes sense. So, we'll see. But, uh... I am looking forward to it, but I freely admit this could be one of the boring, uh, <laughs> not fun Clint Eastwood movies. Right. However, Tom Hanks is one of those actors. There there are a few actors out there that choose their roles much more carefully than most actors. And Tom Hanks chooses his roles very, very good. Chances well, that's are, why he's he super high. Are, exactly
2: on the FPJ scale. He
1: is he is at the top. He's he is he's he maxed out on the FPJ right. scale, the Freddie Prince Jr. scale. For those of you wondering what we're talking about, go back a couple episodes. It's all there. Um Oh yeah, no. Tom Hanks is a legend. Tom Hanks is one of the greatest Hollywood stars of all time. When ho- when movies are done, Tom Hanks will be remembered
2: Yeah, and when he stars in a movie, you have to take notice. Yeah. There's no shame in having a Tom Hanks movie on your list.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, what's your next choice? So,
2: my next choice was one that was kind of also on your list, but we kind of wrestled over some of our picks.
1: That's right. Uh,
2: So, I'm really excited for the remake of The Magnificent Seven. Which is coming out September 23rd. I am... I'm a, I'm a really big fan of Westerns. I really like them. So I'm really, really excited. I think it's got a really great cast with Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt and Ethan Hawke. And I have to say, though, I actually haven't seen the original Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. Even though I really like Westerns, for some reason, I have never seen the, the original. So now I'm like, well, should I see the original before I watch this remake, or should I just watch the remake and then I'll go back?
1: Now, just want, well, yeah. If you if you want to see the original before you watch this, go watch Seven Samurai. Yeah, <laughs> because that's right, right. that's what the Magnificent Seven <laughs> yeah. was remaking. Yes. Um,
2: or I, you could. By have the way, fun. I went through. I went through this when uh, the Coen Brothers did True Grit. Mm-hmm. I. I for some reason also had not seen the original True Grit, and I was like, "Well, should I see the original True Grit and then go see the movie?" And I ended up seeing the Cohen brother one first, and then went back and watched.
1: what you think? What did you think of John Wayne's? I think that was one of his last big westerns.
2: Uh, I like that one too. I like yeah. them both. I I really liked the Cohen brothers one a lot.
1: Yeah, I think so. The, the Cohen brothers. We'll probably talk about this when um, the Magnificent Seven comes out. But I have a theory that, kind of, kind of goes along with you know Bridget Jones and comedies and romantic comedies getting bashed on. I have a theory that westerns, on average, are actually much better movies than other movies out there. Maybe because they're so, uh, they're so out in Hollywood. They're so archaic. You know, they were once so. I think one in three movies at one point was a western. Right. Um, but then they just crashed and crashed and crashed. And they had this reputation of, oh, people don't like Westerns anymore. So in order for a studio to say, all right, we're going to make this one, it has to be, like, the script has to be bulletproof. It has to be fantastic. Um, but I don't know. We'll see.
2: Well, do you remember when they were trying to make Westerns all the time? So we had, like, Young Guns and Young Guns 2 and, like, Texas Rangers and The Quick and the Dead. That's and right.
1: Yes, and we I had do. all of these. Yeah
2: westerns and some of those weren't bad but some were bad.
1: That's true. That yeah, you know what? I think they tried to do a revival. I'm I'm thinking more like the uh well, yeah, kind of the modern, the True Grit, you know, Open Range. It still breaks my heart.
2: Oh, Open Range was so good.
1: Open Range has one of the greatest gunfights in Hollywood history. It so is good. unbelievably good. Like it is you know, I, I feel bad because people kind of snicker at uh, Kevin Costner about, oh, you know, yeah, he made Dances with Wolves, and then he made the postman. <laughs> yeah, he
2: I should... like Kevin Costner, actually.
1: I, I'm I an really apologist. Like... Yeah, well, you don't need... see, that's the thing. You don't need to apologize for Kevin Costner. Just put in open range, and, you know, this is a great way to sort your friends. <laughs> this is like posting something political on Facebook. You find out who your real friends are. Yeah. Put in open range, and the first person to talk crap Boom, out, get out of my house, don't come back. (laughs) And on that note, we're going to talk about my next pick, which is kind of a modern Western in that this is the genre that is eating Hollywood alive. And frankly, I'm completely content with that. That is comic book movies, Marvel movies in specific, Doctor Strange more specifically. Um, I this was ha-
2: also on my list, but... That's right. But I, I changed am... my list.
1: One of my favorite things going on in Hollywood right now, probably even more favorite to me, if that's a phrase, which it's probably not, <laughs> more favorite to me than the return of Star Wars movies is what Marvel is creating with their cinematic universe. I have never once read... A Doctor Strange comic book. I'm not even sure I've ever actually seen one out in the wild. But it's their next movie. It looks kind of interesting. It looks pretty trippy. Um, I think one of the very smart things that Marvel is doing is they're trying to, instead of just stamping out carbon copy comic book movies, they're taking each of their characters and saying, all right, what is this character? What is interesting about them? And they'll make, you know, like Ant-Man's a caper movie. Or, you know, Iron Man is just a straight up, you know, superhero action movie. Or, uh, uh, you know, parts of Captain America are, wrestles with what it is to be American projecting power and all that. And kind of political thrillers, even though I think that's kind of overblown the way they talk about it. Anyway, so each, their movies are very uh, different, You know, or like, uh, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, total sci-fi space opera.
2: And that's Um, another one I had never heard of. And I was like, what? It's got a raccoon
1: in it? See, that's the thing is that is the great. I I think Guardians of the Galaxy, in addition to probably being Marvel's most enjoyable movie, it might be their greatest feat of all time. Because now it's a look. They made a really great movie with a talking raccoon. Yeah. These bastards. It can,
2: might be my favorite.
1: Yeah. The it's a lot of people's favorite. These people can do anything. And and so so when it's kind of like Doctor Strange, it's this trippy magical, you know, sorcerer, modern sorcerer guy. I don't, you know, say no more. Coming from Marvel Studios, Benedict Cumberbatch is in it playing Stephen Strange. I don't you don't even I don't even need to see the previews. I'll be there. November 4th. It's going to be, uh, it could be good. And that, that's the other thing that is amazing why I'm so interested in what Marvel is doing is I don't think there's been one, there's definitely not been one awful Marvel movie. And most of them have been, yeah, okay, pretty, at least enjoyable.
2: Yeah. At least you're entertained.
1: Yeah. There's, there has not been one train wreck that are, there's not even been one really bad movie in there. And this is like the 14th movie. Yeah. So, Yeah. It's uh I am excited. Doctor Strange coming in case no, in case you guys didn't know.
2: <laughs> in case you haven't seen the previews every 5 minutes or the posters everywhere and the billboards and
1: that's right in, in case the uh Disney marketing arm and the Marvel marketing arm didn't punch you from left and right just heads up Marvel's coming out with a new movie. Guess what? That's right. <laughs> So Just, what's your next one?
2: So my next one is a movie called The Girl on the Train. And I think it might be like this year's Gone Girl. It looks like a really good thriller, late, you know, based on a book. It stars Emily Blunt about a uh, let me look. I wanna make sure I'm telling you guys exactly what it's about. Because I actually haven't read the book, but I am thinking about reading the book. Uh, yes, Sonia.
1: What is the movie called, "The Girl on the Train"? About? It's about
2: this. It's about this girl who's on a train. Really? Yeah. And every day, as she's commuting to work, she passes this house, and she come. She kind of becomes obsessed with the couple that lives in the house, and gets involved in a mystery. In their house. I think the wife turns up missing or something like that. But I think the previews look really interesting and I'm kind of into it.
1: I I think a lot of people are. I think think that's, you know, I... Gone Girl, done by David Fincher. You know, it's a David Fincher movie, so I had to go watch it. But that might be one of the most horrifying movies of all time. (laughs) Because I've seen a couple couples like that. Yeah. And it's like, it's not horrifying because, oh, God, wouldn't it be terrible if that happened? It's horrifying because I think I could see my friends doing this. I think I could see so-and-so doing this to her husband. That's horrifying. Oh, it is. Oh, definitely. And it's just... And then... and So when you watch the movie and you see how easy it is to completely vaporize someone's life, it was just like, oh, good Lord. Yeah. Anyway. uh, So I'm
2: excited for the girl on the train. It's, you know... I just think it looks really cool. Who's that directed re- by? Yeah. It is directed by Tate. I'm going to get his name wrong, so I need to make sure. Tate Taylor. And Tate Taylor directed The Help, which okay. I actually haven't seen. He also did, uh, let's see, Do 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 do. i am like, I'm looking, director. All right. Help, get on up, and then girl on the train. All right. Cool. So, uh I didn't even see the help actually.
1: <laughs> That's fine. I've I've heard mixed things about it. It's uh, the people that have praised it to me are people that I don't necessarily trust. Right. It's that kind of movie, so I never ended up going to see it.
2: Well, I like a really well-made thriller and I think this looks like
1: that, so yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Um what's your next pick? My next pick <laughs> Is a remake of a little-known 1996 movie called Independence Day. Not really, but <laughs> if you have seen the previews for The Arrival, you could be uh, forgiven for thinking that this is another Independence Day movie.
2: By the way, Arrival was also on my list.
1: That's right. <laughs> but I browbeat it out of her. Yes. Off- offline. So take that. I am really one of these people that is nice on a podcast, and then I'm a monster behind the scenes. It's really quite awful. That's funny. You're
2: not nice on the podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that joke. All right. Uh, This is uh, a movie about multiple UFOs come down at multiple points on the earth, and the uh, United States government and the army and everything have to figure out, all right, what's going on here? So they grab a linguistic expert, Amy Adams, and a mathematician, uh, played by Jeremy Renner, who has a FPGA score of, I don't know, 10? Anyway, <laughs> still might be good. Uh, and they go and they try to figure out why these aliens came. And what's interesting, what seems to be interesting about it is, instead of the aliens coming and destroying the Earth, you know... In Independence Day, that was one of the things is these aliens came and everybody on Earth immediately united and went off and fought aliens. But this seems to posit these aliens come to Earth, it probably would be very difficult to talk to them. And while we're not talking to them and while we don't know what they're doing here, every country on Earth is freaking out and dealing with it in their own way. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we're trying to figure it out, you know, while Russia... You know, they're dealing with the aliens hovering over Moscow in a totally different way. So can we figure out what's going on with the aliens before the Russians or the Chinese or the British start shooting and piss off the aliens and then they nuke us all? Um, so I think it's it looks to be kind of a little bit more interesting. Um, it's than... a little
2: more of a thoughtful Independence Day.
1: Exactly. But let's give Independence Day their due. Because even if I'm looking at the one of the... Uh, One of the uh, posters for Arrival and which comes out on
2: November 11th,
1: November 11th. And what I'm seeing is essentially a big black round, very Independence Day looking spaceship. Yeah. That instead of, you know, going left to right and kind of hovering over the whole city, it's like up on end. It's like on one edge. Like picture picture a coin on its edge. That's it's it's almost like they took they took the first fifteen minutes of Independence Day, <laughs> took the even the uh, craft designs. Said you know what? Instead of holding it like this, we're gonna hold it like this. All right, let's get going. Let's make a movie. Yeah. And then they just go off and do it. So I'm excited. I don't know anything about it. The preview looks pretty good. Um.
2: I think the preview looks really good.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. I think that's one of the things I'm nervous about is that 2016 has reinforced more than the normal degree how untrustworthy viewers can be. (laughs) They can really mess with your head. All right. What's your next one?
2: So my next one actually isn't going to come out in theaters. It's going to come out on Netflix. What? It is, but it's still a movie. No,
1: Oh, fine.
2: It is called Mascots, and it is the new Christopher Guest movie.
1: All right, I take. Are you my... gonna Are you gonna let it slide? I, I I take back my. Well, actually, you know what? I'm gonna let it slide
2: because I... you're gonna break the rules anyway. So
1: what? I'm gonna break the rules, but actually, I want to preview something for the end of the year that I think we need to talk about real quick, which is. You know, we've been talking about how movies and TV are going together. And yeah. And usually there's, okay, we have our favorite TV list, our favorite movie list, our favorite, you know, actors and movies, actors. No. This year, it's our favorite entertainment list. We're just going to, we're going to break down the wall between television and movies. I think that's an awesome it's idea. It's going to be one list with the best stuff out there. All right. So, mascots. So,
2: so here's why this is on my list. I think mascots are really funny like i i don't know why i think mascots are really funny i think it's really (laughs) i think it's really funny when uh they fall and hurt themselves or people punch them i don't know why i think that's so funny anyway christopher guest is making one of his like mockumentaries about mascots all competing for something i believe called the fluffy award
1: (laughs) oh no and it's
2: so it's basically like best in show, but for mascots. And I think that sounds amazing and I can't wait to see it. And I'm stoked it's coming out on Netflix because then that means I can watch it right away.
1: That is that is cool. What when When is that coming out? October 23rd. Oh, snap. All right. So I guess we'll probably have to talk about it. So cool. All right. Excellent. Are you are you
2: a fan of Christopher Guest movies?
1: I am, but sometimes I just don't catch up with them. I am definitely yeah. a fan of them. Um, well, yeah. I,
2: I love best in show and this sounds like that, but for mascots. And so those are all things that I really like. So I'm into it.
1: Cool. Cool. Cool cool. All right. Let me take a look at my last. I think I have two more. Do I? Oh, I skipped over one. You did. I'm sorry. All right. Then my next one, I was talking about directors that need sometimes need rehabilitation earlier. I was talking about you know how directors can kind of do damage to their reputation, but sometimes they can still produce meaningful and interesting work, and you shouldn't just write someone off because they've become some kind of caricature in the uh, popular mind, and I really need you to keep all of that in mind. Okay. Because my next movie is Hacksaw Ridge, directed by Mel Gibson. Oh, jeez. Now hold on. Stop right there, Mansfield. I
2: have a bunch of things I would say, but then we would get the explicit tag on now, our podcast. Now you can
1: see. Here's the thing. Say everything you want, and I will probably agree. <laughs> all, and I will bleep it. No, well, no, I'm not gonna bleep it. I don't have time for that. but I would probably agree with you on all of it. Yeah. As a person, he is reprehensible. He is, you know, awful in a lot of different ways. As a director, however, he's fantastic. He is a really good director. Um, You know, so I think one of the first movies, was it the first movie he directed Braveheart, yeah, goes on and wins the Oscar. It pulls a. It pulls a Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> wins the Oscar. Is a fantastic movie that is unbelievably rewatchable. It is. You can just dip into that movie at any point. It's great. Then he directs Pas- Passion of the Christ, which, frankly, I did not see.
2: I did not see it either.
1: But I. But it made a boatload of money, and a lot of people really like that movie. Um, Then he makes Apocalypto. Now, Apocalypto is a movie about, uh, you know, taking place in the Mayan civilization. You know, it's not in English. It's 100% subtitles. There are no stars in it. But it's a fantastic movie. And it really, you know, treats that, you know, the characters in that movie... With the same level of interest, the same level of nuance, the same level of real humanity um, that he did with uh, the Scots in Braveheart or he does with any of his other movies. That's the thing about, in a way, uh, Mel Gibson's a lot like Kevin Costner in the way he directs. Is His first and number one thing is give the character something interesting to do and make them kind of human. Um, you know, because I think when it was announced that he was directing Apocalypto, it was, oh, he's going to, you know, take a bunch of Native American or Native Mexican actors and he's just going to kind of ham up that, t- that story. And here's a white man going in and making this. But if you watch right. it, it's fa- it is it is fantastic. And he, you know, like about two minutes in, you can see he loves these characters. He gives them little human fun character moments. He does all the things you would do with any other character, or any other movie um, to humanize them and get you to really feel for them and kind of identify with these people. And then when all the awful things start happening, and it's this kind of tour of horribles um, throughout the end of the Mayan civilization, it's, uh, it's great. You really feel for it. You re- It really breaks your heart. It really tears you up. You know, he he definitely has a love of suffering. Yeah. And, and torture from the roles he's taken, but also from some of the movies he's made. You can tell that that subject really does something for him. Um, and uh, Hacksaw Ridge is about... Um, oh, hold on for a second. Uh, it's about a... Basically a conscient, conscientious... Conscientious <laughs> <got> objector. <laughs> I believe I already said earlier in the podcast that I was having a stroke. A conscientious objector in World War II that doesn't want to go fight. Now, you know, it's kind of like you you, you we've had stories about I'm not going to Vietnam or I'm not going to the Gulf War or I'm not doing this or whatever, but you haven't seen a lot of stories about people that I'm not going to fight Nazis. Um. Uh, it stars uh, boom, 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 Andrew Garfield, Vince Vaughn, Sam Worthington, another actor. Who has <laughs> Sam a,
2: Worthington is a Freddie Prince Jr.
1: F, F, he has a nearly perfect FPJ score of one point five. Yes. Um. Hugo Weaving is in this. Rachel Griffiths. Anyway, um. Yeah, this is Mel Gibson's first directorial uh work since Apocalypto. It looks fantastic. It's he, Mel Gibson, really knows how to present a movie on screen. Um, It's about, you know, uh, Desmond Doss, who's an army medic. He goes through the war and he's at the Battle of Okinawa. And it's just, it looks so good. It looks so, it looks like I'm just very excited for it.
2: We have talked about this on an earlier podcast about how do you separate someone's bad behavior from their work. Yeah. And Mel Gibson is one of those people that I just can't separate it. Like, I could watch Lethal Weapon because that was, like, pre-before-I-knew, I guess. But, like, I can't bring myself to watch anything new.
1: Well, you're gonna have to.
2: We'll see about that. (laughs)
1: Because we're gonna be talking about Hacksaw Ridge at some point.
2: We'll have to bring on a guest. We'll see. Oh, come on! Oh, we'll see. Hmm. So, actually, wait. All right, for all right, you go see Bridget Jones's Baby. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> That's easy for me. <laughs> I think you. I think you calculated too quickly, Mansfield. Damn it! Fine. Oh no! Don't throw me into that briar patch.
2: Coiled again.
1: Um. Yeah. No. I'll do. I'll go see uh, Bridget Jones' Diary. <laughs> Uh yeah well we'll see I uh I I do see where you're coming from but I think I think and this we'll, we'll connect up with this in our fan one in our fan segment in a little while uh I think I'm just getting over people being outraged like in a weird way our culture has become so unforgiving even while it needs to be outraged about a lot of stuff that I. It's kind of like I can't keep score on everybody. And the amount of talent that we're throwing away because they, somebody said something somewhere. I mean, we were talking about it last night on the pop show where, you know, an American gymnast doesn't put her hand over her heart. People are freaking right. out. It's just like everybody knocking off. You know, I get people not liking Mel Gibson. It makes total sense. It's been 10 years since he did that. You know, how, how long does somebody... Ha- have to be away from the thing that they love and are really good at before we say, all right, that's enough.
2: I don't know if I'm ready to take them back yet.
1: I hear you, but there's a lot of actors that have done a lot worse stuff that have come back a lot quicker than he did. Right. You know, and it's, I I think, and and I think that's part of it is I agree. He needed a, he needed a timeout. He needed, I mean, he needed his reputation to be beaten up. He needed to have the way we looked at him changed. All of that is definitely true, but I'm not sure. I, I guess that's the thing is I'm, I'm against the death penalty in all arenas, including career deaths, <laughs> unless they're like a, it still is difficult for me to say, unless they're like a Bill Cosby level, right? whatever. And then, you know, well, see, that's the thing about Bill Cosby. He's got to go to jail. That's the thing. Yeah. So, you know, and I say what you want about Mel Gibson. I don't think he's done anything that deserves jail time. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's where I'm drawing the line. There you go. Drawing the line. Jail. So actually, if I did that, though, Robert Downey Jr. would be out. True. So anyway, Hacksaw Ridge. (laughs) Looking forward to it. (laughs)
2: All right. Are we ready for my last pick? Yes. Okay. So I I debated this one, but I am going to go see it. I am looking forward to it. It's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which, of course, is the prequel to the Harry Potter movies. Uh, because I am the completest, I will have to go see it. But I am worried, and we've talked about this on the trailer special bulletin we did a couple weeks ago, I am a little worried that this is going to be like The Hobbit. Mm. Where it's like not much of a, you know, much of a story there. But uh, I'm still going to see it. And I mean, the previews look all right.
1: Yeah, the previews look the previews look pretty good. Um, well, let me step back. The previews look pretty good the The special effects are gorgeous. The yeah. world it creates is really, very beautiful and interesting and intriguing. But for me, the Harry Potter movies have always been a distant second to the books. There's something about and and for me, it's it's the world that gets created. Yeah, that I'm more interested in the than the actual plottings and scenes and all that stuff. You know, the acting is really good. The directing in most of them is fantastic. But I always kind of watch them and then realize, oh, yeah, that's right. These, you know, it's it's wizards pointing wands at each other and shooting little balls of light 90% of the time when they do I, this stuff.
2: Yeah. I love the Harry Potter movies. I really do. And I love the books, too. Yeah. Uh, and I look forward to returning to the world yeah. You know, and that's how I felt reading Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, too. Did um,
1: you finish it? Have you finished I, it yet? I
2: did. I did finish it. And? I thought it was good. All right. I liked it. You know, I I'm not super in love with it. I don't want to really read it again. But I enjoyed it. Right. Because I like being in the world. Right. And that's probably how I'll feel about this movie, too. I am looking forward to it. Therefore, it made the list. But I am... I'm worried that it's going to disappoint me.
1: Cool. Uh, I agree. I'm with you. Supposedly, J.K. Rowling has already written a script for a sequel. They're planning a trilogy. It's going to be... I I do think that this is an interesting way for them to do a prequel, which is take minor mentioned characters that you don't know their beginnings. You don't know their ends. You don't know what happened to them. They're just mentioned somewhere. And then just do a whole story on that, because then, you know, then it's I mean, it's kind of like technically it's a prequel, but it it may as well just be a whole different new movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Excuse me. Are you Uh, bored? Yeah, I'm bored, (laughs) Sonia. Two nights in a row, two (laughs) podcasting sessions in a row. You have bored me. (laughs) You're welcome. Stop calling out my yawns. I'm old. Leave me alone. You will. uh, You'll sleep well tonight. That's right.
2: So, what's your last pick?
1: Allied. I am breaking rules. You are. I, I am picking Allied because it's Robert Zemeckis's new movie. How <laughs> often do we get a movie by the director of Back to the Future, the director of Castaway, the director of Forrest Gump, the director <laughs> of Who Framed Roger Rabbit? This is. Did we the- just
2: get a movie from him last year?
1: Maybe the point is he's got a new movie (laughs) and it's called Allied. It's about Brad Pitt and Marion Clotard. Don't check my pronunciation. I think you're right. Uh, And it's about them somehow in World War II doing something. That is the extent of my knowledge. Oh, wait a minute. Look at this. Wow. All right. I am now reading from the Wikipedia page of Allied, and this movie might have just rocketed up in my interest. During World War II, in Casablanca, 1942, a spy assassin, Max Vatan, Brad Pitt, and a French spy, Marianne, I cannot say that last word in French, fall in love and marry during a mission to kill a German official. This could be the second movie in the Casablanca connected universe. (laughs) I don't think it's supposed to be connected to Casablanca, but I will. This is like. But let's uh, pretend it
2: is. We we
1: could pretend it is because this is like six months later. These guys are probably hanging out in Rick's bar right now. Awesome. Now I want to see it. Now I'm going to put it on my list. That's right. Lizzie Kaplan's in it. We got a new soundtrack by Alan Silvestri. This is great. It's fantastic. It was written by Steve Knight, who also wrote other stuff. Point is. (laughs) 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 A bunch of stuff that now that I'm looking through it, I'm okay. Oh, Pawn Sacrifice. I I watched that. That was all right. Oh, he directed Locke from 2014. That was uh, with uh, Tom Hardy, I think, wasn't it? That was good. I heard somewhere. I didn't have a podcast back then. I didn't see a whole lot of movies. Anyway, (laughs) point is, Robert Zemeckis has a new movie. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Topic two is another installment in our intermittent series, what is the internet outraged about today? Well, it looks like it's outraged about some things. But uh, I read an interesting piece on Trek Movie uh, the other day. It's one of the sites that I follow. Uh, they follow a lot of Star Trek news, and they're actually usually pretty good about it. And it was written by John Duchek. I hope I'm saying that right. I've never actually met the man. And he wrote an editorial for them. Why I embraced Star Trek, Brandon Braga's Star Trek, years after unfairly blaming him. And essentially, what this is is a passionate Star Trek fan's apology to somebody that they vilified for what they thought was kind of destroying the thing that they loved. Um, Back in the mid 2000s, when Star Trek's fortunes were kind of going into the ground. A lot of fans blamed executive producer Rick Berman and co-executive producer Brandon Braga. He produced a lot on Voyager, and then execu- uh, executive co-produced uh, Enterprise, which was the last television series on the air. Uh, they got a lot of heat, a lot of stress, a lot of vitriol, um, and it's funny, because uh, Duchek. We used to go on a Star Trek board that I used to go on, TrekWeb, the late, I wouldn't say great, but the late, (laughs) TrekWeb.com. And that was one of the places I noticed that Star Trek fans were really kind of going nuts and kind of getting very tense and very attacking. Um, Not all Star Trek fans, but it seemed to definitely be a significant thread, which I think we've seen continued with some of the reaction to J- the JJ J. Abrams uh, movies, anyway, um, I gotta hand it to John Duchek here because you know he he kind of wrote about where he was in his life, wrote about watching these things, and then he writes about you know what. So years later, I went back and watched Enterprise and Voyager, and I really liked them. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good, and I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> you know and so he he goes on uh next uh i decided to do something that i had not planned to do apologize so he writes this huge apology um to brandon braga and kind of does his best to resuscitate uh braga's uh reputation in the star trek community and it got me thinking about all of the things over the last couple of years that we've been going through with these fandoms that just seem to be going just getting very angry, going very nuts um, and w- ma- makes me wonder kind of what is it when fans love something and they kind of take ownership of it they take bring it into their lives and bring it close to their hearts. but it's ownership of something that they have not created, they don't own but if they didn't love it so much, the studios or the book companies or the record companies or whatever would not be able to produce it. So without fans, culture, the stories we love don't get made. Um, but without the strong producers that can stand up to the heat, I guess, we or, you know, or worst worse case, you know, if the producers cave into fandom and ca- and just become fan service, the stories that we love kind of Either evaporate or never get made at all. Right. Um, and I was trying to kind of write down on the back of an envelope kind of the fan freakouts that we've had. Um, you know, we've had even back in the eighties, Michael Keaton as Batman, like, oh my god, you can't make Beetlejuice Batman. There was that big freak out. <laughs> right. And then that Batman movie comes out of nowhere. Or not comes out of nowhere. Sorry. It comes out and just is the biggest thing in pop culture for, you know, four or five years. It was massive. Right. Then in the early 2000s, you have Daniel Craig.
2: James Bond can't be blonde.
1: Exactly. There was a boycott movement based on the fact that Daniel Craig's hair was blonde. James Bond couldn't be blonde and that we we can't do this. Right. Then there was Heath Ledger cast as the Joker. And I think that you can see a pattern developing here. Yes. Heath Ledger cast as a Joker. What? Some dumb cowboy, you know, that cowboy that doesn't talk much and broke back mountain. And the, he was in 10 Things I Hate About You. This teeny <laughs> bopper, whatever. Who the heck? Why is he going to play the Joker? Jack Nicholson, after all. This is where fans forget about stuff. Jack yeah. Nicholson, after all, was great in the classic by that point. Yeah. You know, 1989 Batman. Then Ben Affleck gets cast as Batman. Now that I think about it, stay away from Batman. (laughs) This seems to be the pattern. Just don't get cast in any Batman. Anyway, Ben Affleck gets cast. People freak out again. Oh, my God. This is the the worst thing to happen. I can't believe it's happening. This movie's going to be so awful. Batman vs. Superman is going to suck. And what's the thing you heard when Batman and Superman came out? And a lot of people did say it sucked. It was awful, it it was not good, it was boring, but Ben Affleck might be the greatest Batman ever put on screen. Ben Affleck is the best thing in there. Ben Affleck is an amazing Batman. He is the greatest. So, you know, it's... Then there was Michael B. Jordan, an African-American actor, cast as Johnny Storm in Take a Drink, last year's. Fantastic Four.
2: <laughs> we can't go a whole podcast without talking about Fantastic no, Four. We can't.
1: So and that's the thing is Michael B. Jordan was great. The movie was awful. But it had nothing to do with him. With him. Right. So then we have these these freakouts where it's kind of like, all right, well, just don't listen to fans. They don't know what they want. <sighs> right. They're they're they're
2: well, th- let's not forget there's yeah two two Star Wars movies in a row that star women. That's right. That's and it's
1: it's just going to ruin everything. Well, here's the thing, and actually, it, uh, thank you for saying and, that. Cause and it, women can't be Ghostbusters either. Well, that's the thing is that that transitions us into the next thing, which is okay. I heard a couple of people say complain about two Star Wars movies in a row being cast with women. Then this week. Uh, Zedenya, I hope I'm saying that right because I'm old. Uh, <laughs> it is supposedly cast as uh, Mary Jane Watson in the New Batman or I'm sorry in the new Spider-Man movie. And this is this might be fun for you people at home who know who she is. I think she's African American. I believe she, she is. She is, but she it looks like her lineage is pretty interesting because she looks. One, gorgeous. Two, she's got one of those faces where eh, she might be African-American. You know what? She might be Filipino. You know what? Are we sure she's not Puerto Rican? Maybe she's Mexican. She could be anything. She's got one of those faces where she could, you could tell me she was from India. And I'd go, oh, yeah, look at that. Uh, and there was, the, you know, uh, James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy, kind of pushed back and talked about how color of your skin doesn't really have anything to do with you the character that you're portraying and it doesn't really matter if you switch things up. This is a modern era. Yada, yada, yada.
2: FYI, I looked it up. She is African-American.
1: Okay. But.
2: Her father is black. Her mother
1: is white. Okay. So. There you go. Okay, cool. Uh, I am wondering how many people were really pissed about this? Because I, 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 you and I were talking about this earlier in the week and I went on Twitter and said, God, you know, is there, is there another tidal wave? You know, a Leslie Jones uh, Ghostbuster-style tidal wave of hate coming down on her. And every tweet I saw was, I don't care what the haters say. I think she's going to be great. (laughs) What haters? Exactly. And then I just kind of (laughs) scrolled through. I was like, I have not found one tweet against this.
2: Yeah, and then you read an article, though, and they have like a screenshot of like one angry tweet. And it's like someone who doesn't even have a Twitter icon and... That's right. It's like someone who made an account just to be a troll.
1: That's right. And then, which has me wondering, did the the author want to write this story? They couldn't find any tweets, so they just started an account, threw one out there, took a picture of it. Ah, now they got their blog post.
2: I mean, I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure there were people that were upset because
1: that's what they get upset about. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are. And this is kind of. One of the things I'm thinking about, there's going to be things, there are people that believe the earth is flat. They really believe the earth is flat. There are people, this Wait, are you saying
2: the earth isn't flat?
1: Yes, I'm saying the earth isn't flat. What? There are people, this is one of my favorite ones. There are people in America and probably around the world that believe that dinosaurs never existed. And that the CIA created the legend of dinosaurs to keep people from building time machines and traveling into the past. (laughs) (laughs) I love that one. There are people. My point is there are people that will believe or say any. Right. Dumb thing you can think of in a a country of three hundred and thirty five million people to say nothing of the seven, you know seven odd billion people spread around the rest of the world. If anything happens anywhere, you're going to find people that are going to say dumb stuff about it. Yes. So the question is, should we, you know, let me step back. Sometimes fans give feedback that is interesting or meaningful. You know, you'll have, you'll have uh, creators that take on a property. Don't really respect it. Don't really like it haven't really thought about it, and then they make some dumb thing. Actually, this takes us back to Batman and Joel Schumacher. The way that guy <laughs> talks about comic books and talks about right. he his task, yeah. he doesn't understand anything about the milieu he's in. And it's not any surprise, he goes on to make a couple of the worst movies of all time. Um, so fans should be listened to. For example, going back to Spider-Man, when Sam Raimi stepped away and Sony was afraid they were going to lose the rights because they couldn't get a movie made in time, they grabbed it, grabbed Andrew Garfield. They said, all right, we're, we're restarting Spider-Man. Um, we're going to call it the amazing Spider-Man and we're going to make a whole Marvel-like cinematic connected universe. Fans were pretty rightly perplexed by starting over after only three movies and it seemed like they could keep going. Uh, kind of voiced their concern. The first one didn't do well. Sony, being the obstinate studio that it is, insisted on carrying on, made a second Amazing Spider-Man, which was also kind of mediocrely uh, received. And, you know, if it crashed and burned. If Sony had listened to their fans or listened to the feedback or listened to the vibe, they might have... not gone down this awful path. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, is are fans, what kind of attitude should creators take towards fans? It sounds like as we talk this through, they should probably ignore them.
2: <laughs> it's, well, it depends on, I I guess it depends on what they're saying and how they're saying it. Right. So, you know, I know there's like, kind of, you know, a very vocal, angry fan base out there for things that they kind of freak out about movies and TV shows and video games before they even see it or play it. Right. And it's like, hey, maybe you should, you know, see it before you freak out and declare it the worst thing ever. Right. You know, so it's like, do you, you don't listen to that. Right. But like, but maybe like, say like, there was a whole, like, hashtag where people were trying to get them to give Elsa a girlfriend in Frozen right. 2. And Captain and,
1: America a boyfriend.
2: Right. right. But, you know, so these are people that just want to be represented. hmm You know, and it's like, are they necessarily trying to influence the story? It's like, maybe, but wh- I think what they're really trying to make is a point. Like, hey, we would like to be represented.
1: Right. So,
2: you know, maybe there's something there to listen to.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think
2: that it's just it's so tricky because people can take movies and TV shows and video games and comic books and stuff. And we take them so personally because we wrap up so much of our identity right. in those things. You know, like I, like my casual acquaintances will be like, you know, Sonia, she has red hair and glasses and she really likes Star Wars. And
1: she won't shut up about Star Wars. Oh, yeah,
2: sorry. exactly. So then when you identify so closely with something and then maybe they make a sequel or a reboot or something and it's not what you want it to be, you know, you, I get, you know, some people lash out, make yeah. threats, threads act like jerks. Some people, you know, uh, offer constructive criticism and some people like me would be like, Hey, well, maybe that one wasn't for me. Maybe the next one will be
1: right. Right.
2: You know, I think part of the fun of going to movies is talking about it after. And that's one of the things I used to, you and I used to do all the time. Like we used to go to the movies, then we'd go out to coffee afterwards and we'd just pick apart that movie and talk about what we loved and what worked and what didn't work and explore why it worked for me and it didn't work for you. And that's just, yeah, you know, and if it didn't work for you, then you just, you just let it go. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know,
2: well, uh, no, I think, to know, be fair, we didn't have Twitter back then to go on there and like harass, like
1: you yeah. know. Well, I think I think we could all agree that harassing and making threats and stuff is. I, I mean, I think part part of my is a little irritated that actions like that get lumped into fandom. That's not. Fandom. Yeah, that's that's, it, that's it sucks. Those are psychopaths. Those guys would be. Chasing yeah. women at bus stops twenty years ago. Those guys, right. those guys are damaged people doing damaged things.
2: It's a bunch of you know, it's, it's a bunch of nerds who were probably bullied in school and now they're right. bullies on the
1: internet. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. People always go to the bullies on bullies. These guys are just holes. Yeah. <laughs> These guys are probably just. A-s. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, you know, it's funny you should say that because now that I'm thinking about it drink, because I'm going to mention the Emmys, us going out and talking about these things and obsessively dorking out about these things and drawing them close to our heart kind of taught me what I needed to know, taught me what I need to pay attention to, to get much better at my craft, to get much, you know, to accomplish things. You know, I I did get very lucky with, you know, winning a couple Emmys because of that. I might not get so lucky when I finally publish this book, which might be great or it might be a train wreck.
2: I was going to ask you, as someone who writes, how much credence would you give some fans' input?
1: Well, it's interesting because I was noticing something about Star Wars that, you know, George Lucas has a very fraught relationship with his fans. For sure. (laughs) And – one of the things he said he's he said consistently is he's never understood Boba Fett's appeal. He's <laughs> never understood why people love Boba Fett so much. So it's almost like so weird. He doesn't understand something pretty fundamental to the first three movies that he made, or you know, the first trilogy he made. He there's something important about it that the guy that created it doesn't get it, right? Um. So you you should listen to fans and fans can tell you um, that's one of the things I'm going to drop a name here. Back when I was uh, used to review movies and write on movies, I got to interview uh, Ron Howard and I talked to him about the subject of test screenings and, you know, kind of the the bromide in Hollywood is, oh, test screenings. You just you take your movie and you put it in front of a bunch of dumb people that don't know anything about movie making. And then you have to listen to what they say. And, oh, God, that's awful. And then I asked, well, you know, what do you think about test screenings and the whole process? Is it kind of a headache? Does it stifle your creativity? Blah, blah, blah. And he goes, no, test screenings are great. Test screenings are, um, it's like opening your play off Broadway. Hmm. You you put it on your feet. You put it in front of an audience. The things that you thought were going to be funny or not funny, the things you didn't even think twice about, people are jumping out of their seats for. And I, you know, I've kind of seen this for myself, which is you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I am kind of incorporating this into what I'm doing. Um, is feedback from audiences can tell you a lot of things. They can tell they can't tell you how to fix something. You know, like if they don't like a character or if a moment lands wrong, they can't tell you what to do to fix it. But you better listen when they say, I don't really like this part. It's not, you know, nine times out of 10, and this is this is where the creators have to put their ego down. The creator needs to listen to what's bumping an audience, what's not being understood, what, you know, what's something that, you know, the, the author or the director or something really liked and they really were enjoying it, but the audience couldn't care less about it. So you do I think you do need to listen and that's why one of the reasons that this has taken so long is I'm kind of gonna write I've kind of written five or six chapters I'm in the process of polishing them now I have the rest of the book mapped out but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take those five or six chapters have a bunch of people read them you know interview them figure out you know this thing that's been in my head for 15 years
2: mm-hmm
1: you know, has it gotten so twisted around its own axle and so messed up and so whatever? Is, it just, is this just something that I love? Is this something that's really great? Is this something that's a total train wreck? You know, it and, and you can't really know. That's one of the awful things about being a creator is you make something and you don't know what it is. You know, I think David Ayer went through that with Suicide Squad, and actually, now that I think about it, Zack Snyder went through that with Batman versus Superman. Is they they were expecting to put those movies out, and have them be loved, right?
2: Have them well, be, I would assume that that's the case for everybody who's making movies. They yeah, assume yeah. that they've nobody's like I'm making a crappy movie. They exactly. all think they're making a good movie.
1: Yeah, and you well, that's the thing is, it's even worse than that. Is you can try to make a movie, and it. Tr- And it becomes a crappy movie. And as you're making it, you can kind of see that. So by the time you put it out, you know in your heart, all right, this one missed. Let's put it out there and let's move on to the next one. Right. Then you can be in the situation where you truly believe it is great. It's hitting all the notes you you want it to hit. You know, watching it gives you the same feeling that you had when you're watching uh, great movies that you love. But you're just so close to it that you're kind of blind Yeah, that's that's one of the hard things for especially in editing film is you've watched the footage so much and you put it together so much and you know all the footage that got cut out and you know all the footage that was shot. So in a weird way, you're kind of blind to the thing that you're creating and the real eyes that see it are the audience. Mm -hmm. So you need to give it to an audience to tell you if you're nuts or not. And that's kind of what Ron Howard was talking about is you see what the audience says, then you bring the movie back in, then you edit it and cut it. And if you look pound for pound, movie for for movie, Ron Howard's movies are better. You know, he's got a better track, one of the better track records in Hollywood. So there must be something to it. Um, So you do have to listen to fans. They do, you know... I guess that's it. Is we've kind of gone down all these roads here, you know. You just have to tune out the haters, and they almost kind of tune themselves out. If they're if they haven't seen something and they're already asking for boycotts, right? Or they're making death threats, or they're focusing on actors or actresses and making their days awful for. That's who you tune out. Yeah, you know, but. But but if people that really love Spider-Man are saying, I don't understand why they're doing this, maybe they shouldn't go down this road. You know, or we saw that with the Ghostbusters thing is we saw we saw I think now it's pretty apparent there were two or three reactions. There was one awful misogynistic reaction. Yes. Then there was the reaction of this seems like a weird way to revisit Ghostbusters. I'm not sure. I'm really digging it. And I I think I would put myself in that category. Then there was the, you know, oh, it's great that women were, you know, were diversifying roles. It's great that they're hiring all these really funny actresses to do it. Let's go. And, And those people were almost kind of loving the movie before it came out. And, you know, granted, they were not nearly as large or vocal as the haters. But I think they were there. And then there was the let's just see what happens. Hopeful, yeah. but let's just see what happens. And I think you were in that category. Yeah. Um and it came out and it turned out meh. So yeah. It was funny, uh, but not that's right. Not, not as
2: funny as it should be.
1: Right. And I, and I it, feel
2: like as a writer, like I would listen to I would listen to fans input but I think I would be pretty selective of what I would be willing to listen to. Right. That's I mean that's how I would do it but and yeah. I I assume that
1: maybe yeah. that's what other people would
2: do yeah. as well.
1: You know exactly because that's the kind of thing is you have to be very careful who yeah who you listen to. Yeah. Cuz there are people that I love that I really respect that I am not going to show them early drafts of my book. (laughs) Right. Uh, Because it's just not up their alley. Like you don't, you know, if somebody is not into musicals, don't show them your musical and ask them what they think. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because that's just going to end in tears. Because one, they're not really going to like it. And two, the feedback they give you is going to wreck the thing that's probably great about it. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's, well, I guess that's the thing, what we've learned. Tune out the haters. People who issue threats aren't even real fans anyway, so get them out of it. And then sometimes listen to the rest that are left. But sometimes you just, this is the awful part for me, you just have to hold your nose, jump, and that's it. That brings us to our favorite headlines of the week. And this week, my favorite headline is, I don't have one. <laughs> I good did job. not make one. I didn't find one that really struck my fancy. So sa- So I said, you know what? I'm not doing this. I am going to not turn in my homework. So what do you think and of that, I- podcast fans?
2: And I'm such a good little student that I did.
1: That's right. I actually like your homework.
2: Oh, well, thank you. You could copy mine.
1: I will. So, Sonia, would you like to tell sure. uh, then what your favorite headline of the week is? So,
2: my favorite headline of the week is uh, there is a promo out for the new Celebrity Apprentice with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'll be honest, I don't know if I'm really going to watch the show, but I really like the promo. And we have a link that you can go to. That's right. Uh, to watch it. And uh, I don't know. I'm... Arnold Schwarzenegger hasn't made a movie that I wanted to see in a long time. And I'm kind of curious to see what he's going to do on The Celebrity Apprentice because I I like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So maybe I will watch it, actually.
1: <laughs> you know, that's the thing is I, I really like him as a personality. And actually, he's one of these. Here's the thing. He's one of these guys that's done some awful things in his private life. He's done some really shady, crappy things. But... On screen, he's great. I, I'm kind of waiting for him to get to that Unforgiven moment in his career, right? When he when he takes the well of built up built up love and built up persona that he's been putting down since the early '80s and starts to to play with it like Clint Eastwood did in his later years, you know, with Grand Turismo and Unforgiven and all that kind of stuff. I think that could be really great. Um, I think he tried it. With the last sheriff, the last stand a couple years ago, I didn't see it. Nah, it was not good. It kind of broke my heart because, like, and and I think it bombed. And I think he had done a couple movies that it also had not done well. Um, and then yeah, it was it was not good. Oh yeah, and then he did Terminator, right? Genesis.
2: I would also like this show to do really well, just to stick it to Trump.
1: I would. And then it's like that's
2: kind of actually a good enough reason for me to watch it now that I think about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing is, you know, we say all this stuff about Trump. And, you know, there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger was at the center of another kind of off the wall candidacy. He became governor of the state that we live in, California. And, you know, there's there's a contingent of society. Oh, my God. John Lovitz is on here. Stop <laughs> right there! John Lovitz is a, all right. I'm watching it. Girl, anyway. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, you didn't tell me John Lovitz was going to be on this. <laughs> that's right. You should have led with that.
2: <laughs> he's a top celebrity apprentice. We'll have John Lovitz, also Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, that's
1: right. He's one of he's one of the top five performers in all time Saturday Night Live history. That's great. I disagree with that, but... That's because you don't know crap about Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, I said it. If he's not in the top five, you're doing it wrong.
2: I disagree. Now we're going to have to do a segment someday about our top five SNL. All
1: right. All right. Give me your number one, then. Phil Hartman? All right. So you've redeemed yourself somewhat. This, actually, this is an example. You know how many lists we're making that are basically the same lists? I know. We, we just did this and I I, I thought I was going to catch you by not picking by you not picking Phil Hartman, but you picked Phil Hartman so forget it. Anyway, <laughs> point is, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he really dug in and did the work. He really like went to Sacramento and he, you know, say what you will about how he ran the state or whatever, but he was like a serious guy. You know, you, you know, we 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 kind of joke. There's a certain contingency. Had, like, had plans. He had plans, and he, had he thoughts wasn't like and,
2: I'm going to make California great again. Yeah, you no know, specific. You know, nothing specific.
1: Yeah, and he yeah he had his. You know, they asked him stuff, and he knew what he was going. And then he went to Sacramento, and you know he really was in these late night meetings, and he did what a governor does. And then you you so you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger, who through a lot of the 80s and 90s, that's that's interesting. Through a lot of the 80s and 90s, he. Wasn't exactly like Donald Trump, but he had this Donald Trump class kind of persona in the culture. He was kind of laughed at. He was kind of mocked. He was kind of dumb. Or people thought he was kind of dopey and dumb, which is interesting because they were making fun of his accent. Right. He's not dumb at all. And it was a very pejorative reaction by people who thought of themselves as smart, which basically boiled down to... He talks differently than me. He must be stupid. Right. But uh, anyway, then when you see, like, you know, seeing him in this apprentice promo, I'm thinking if he was running for president right now, I would be, I would have so much less stress in my life. (laughs) If, If you plucked out Trump and put in Schwarzenegger, as ridiculous and silly as it would be. It's like, oh, okay. At least, you know, we don't have one party that is rocketing itself right into the side of a mountain. But instead, well, yeah.
2: Maybe Celebrity Apprentice is a gateway to uh, pol- you know, to political runs or, you know, presidential runs. So, maybe that's next. <laughs> well, although he wasn't born here. That's so. right.
1: So he couldn't <laughs> That's true, but he wasn't Predator, which <laughs> which had not one, but two state governors. True. (laughs) In that lineup, Jesse Ventura and Arnold Schwarzenegger starred in Predator for John McTiernan back in the 80s and both later ran major states.
2: Hey, anything's possible.
1: That's right. So uh, on that note, where we dream of an alternate universe where Arnold Schwarzenegger is running against Hillary Clinton... (laughs) <laughs> take that however you'd like i wouldn't change my vote anyway but sure you know that's the thing i would definitely change mine <laughs> <laughs> uh, i would probably not be voting for some libertarian nobody that's not gonna win anyway uh Don't weigh your vote on a third party <laughs> go ahead and
2: throw it away
1: it's not throwing it away if everybody does it <laughs> See, your problem is you want to jump on the bandwagon. You wanna be you wanna say, I voted for the winner. I'm the best. You that's don't even care. To- You're just you that- just run with the pack, Mansfield. Yeah, that totally just sounds like me. Jump off the cliff with all the other lemmings.
2: Yep, that's me. You
1: you know me so well. That's right. You do that, and I'm gonna dream of a world where the Terminator is running for president. A much more serious, rational world <laughs> than the one you happen to be inhabiting right now. What do you think about that? I'll just say goodbye. Bye! The Dorking Out Show is on Twitter at Dorking Out Show, where you can find Chris at Jet Juergens and Sonia at The Sonia Show. You can read about Sonya's random adventures at show.com and track the slow and creeping progress of Chris's novel, and his other hijinks, at jetjurgens.com. You can find out more about The Dorking Out Show at dorkingoutshow.com. While you're over there, you can support us by giving us a review on iTunes. We have a handy-dandy iTunes link to whisk you right back to 2007, where you can leave your review and five-star rating in iTunes we'd do it for your podcast. Want to dork out even more? Well, you can sign up for our newsletter, where you'll get all the headlines we use as fuel for the show. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening.